Welcome to Dialogue Minnesota, conversations about the issues that matter to you. I'm your host, Jim Dubois. The longest partial federal government shutdown in U.S. history came to an end when President Donald Trump gave Congress three weeks to come up with a plan that would include funding for a border wall. Recently, the president expressed doubt that legislation acceptable to him will pass Congress before the February 15th deadline. Trump is threatening to either declare a national emergency to fund the wall or partially shut down the government again if he doesn't get his way. Today on Dialogue Minnesota, a conversation with David Schultz. He is both a Hamlin University political science professor and a University of Minnesota visiting professor of law. He'll discuss the reasons why government shutdowns occur, the difference between funding for border security as opposed to a physical barrier, and the prospects that Minnesota could experience a state government shutdown. Professor Schultz, welcome back to Dialogue Minnesota. Thanks for having me again. After 35 days, President Trump agreed to suspend the partial government shutdown until February 15th. Why was this the longest shutdown in U.S. history? Well, I think quite simply what we're really looking at here is a couple of different factors. One of them right off the bat is that the President of the United States and the Democrats, but I would say just the President and Congress in general, have very different spending priorities. If we think about what the budget is all about, the budget is the legal authorization to spend money. And why we had a government shutdown from a legal point of view is there was no legal authorization to spend money for approximately 25% of the federal functions. And because they didn't reach a budget agreement, didn't have a continuing resolution, that's why we had the furlough and the partial government shutdown. But beyond the legal reason, the core is what? It's, it's a philosophical or political difference in priorities that the President of the United States is saying that he wants a wall um, and although at times it's been a physical wall, it's been metal flats, it's been something else, he said he wants a wall, and the Democrats have said they're not going to fund it. And in many ways, we're also finding that, that the Republicans in the Republican-controlled Senate were also not going to go along with it. So that's the simplest answer. No legal authorization to spend money and a significant political disagreement over spending priorities. Well, why do shutdowns occur? What's the political strategy behind them? Two answers here again. Why do they actually occur again? Is because the United States government only has the authority to spend money when the law authorizes it. And when you run out of legal authorization to spend money, then you really can't do certain things. And about 75% of the government is on what's either known entitlements or spending that is automatic and so that it can't shut down. For example, grandma is always going to get her Social Security check because that's just continuously authorized. But the strategy for a shutdown, in many ways, doesn't make any sense, at least the way it's played out politically. And what I mean by that is I think when we got to maybe the first major shutdowns back in the 90s, I think one side was thinking, well, the other side is going to be so scared about the prospects of a government shutdown that it'll bring the other side to the bargaining table. But now, having had several shutdowns, including this longest one, I'm not sure the strategy works anymore. In fact, public opinion suggests that the person or body or institution that gets the blame for the shutdown pays pretty dearly in terms of the polls. And so here, I think Trump was thinking that he can gain leverage with Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats 
by putting the government into a shutdown. And in fact, it didn't work. The previous longest shutdown occurred under President Bill Clinton. Do you see many similarities between the Congress in control during that shutdown and the one today? There are some important parallels. There was actually two shutdowns back-to-back in terms of years under Bill Clinton, which were both pretty significant in terms of length. And they were a product of 1994 when Republicans, with the slogan of Contract for America, elected Republican majorities, taking over from Democratic majorities in the House and Senate. And Newt Gingrich and the Republicans had very different political values compared to Bill Clinton, the President of the United States. And in many ways, that's what we're seeing here. The only difference, of course, being now is that we have a divided government in the sense that we have a um, Republican-controlled Senate, Democratic-controlled House. But many of the conditions that we saw back then about political polarization, difference in spending priorities, I think belief that the shutdown would actually give one leverage, all of these are very parallel to what we saw 94 and just recently. The New York Times recently reported that the government shutdown cost the U.S. economy $11 billion. Why did the shutdown cause economic damage, and how is the cost justified when considering the fight was over Trump's request for $5.7 billion for the border wall? Well, first, I think the New York Times probably underestimated the cost. Back in 2013, when the government was shut down for 15 days with a dispute between the Republicans and Barack Obama over the Affordable Care Act, Standard & Poor's estimated that the total cost to the GDP, the gross domestic product, was about $26 billion. I would suspect that by the time we do a final accounting, that the cost of this shutdown will far exceed that one and far more than the $11 billion in terms of what it means, because we're talking about not just lost wages and work from those in the federal government. Yes, they will get that money back, but it has an impact on government contractors. It has an impact, really, that has a multiplier effect down the line in many ways. And so I suspect the real number will be far in excess of that $11 billion. And it really is hard to justify. I mean, we think first about the fact that the $5.7 billion that was being fought over is less than a percent, probably less than a half of 1% of the federal budget. Um, It's a very small amount of money. But the potential damage it does to the United States in terms, let's say, reputation, damage to the economy. Again, back in 2013, there was also some indications that affected the bond rating from the United States. It's really hard to justify shutting down the economy. We're talking with David Schultz. He's a professor in the Department of Political Science at Hamlin University. He is also a visiting professor at the University of Minnesota Law School. His blog is schultztake.blogspot.com. What were the main reasons the Democrats did not want to capitulate to President Trump's $5.7 billion request for a border wall? I think we can look at their reasons across multiple levels. You know, one of them is the fact that they would argue the border wall really doesn't improve or enhance security in the United States, which is why they had offered the President of the United States several billion dollars for other types of security. And statistics will point to, and evidence will point to the fact that, first, the border walls really don't keep immigrants out, that they either tunnel under them or they go around them. Second, 
most of the people who are in the United States illegally um, have come through legal points of entry and have just overstayed their visas. And in general, it just seemed for the Democrats, I think that it was a um, not the best use of $5.7 billion if your real concern was enhancing border security. That's sort of, let's say, the, the policy reason. I think the political argument was that Nancy Pelosi wanted to make a point, wanted to make a point that, that the president of the United States just can't push her around or can't push the House of Representatives around, and that Congress was going to assert its authority, budgetary authority, in terms of setting priorities. Now, a third level, some people said, was that perhaps the whole goal of Nancy Pelosi was to humiliate the president of the United States or break his presidency. We could, of course, look at the choices in terms of what was done across all three of those levels. There seems to be some confusion over the difference between funding for border security and specifically funding a border wall. What exactly does President Trump mean when he demands funding for the wall, and what types of border security might the Democrats agree to? This is a very good question here, because in many ways, when Donald Trump ran for president back in 2016, one can almost argue that the wall was a metaphor, a metaphor for protecting the United States, improving border security. And it wasn't completely clear then that it really was, you know, the big concrete wall, although he did say that at least a couple of the speeches. But he has vacillated, I think, several times in the course of his presidency in terms of what the wall is. At some point, it has been a concrete wall, about 16 feet or taller. At some point, it has been a wall with metal flats in it and barbed wire on top. His staff, General Kelly, chief of staff and so forth, have said, well, they had walked away from the wall in terms of a physical concept a long time ago. So it's unclear in terms of what it is. When Trump actually announced last Saturday that he was ending the government shutdown, he at one point referred to the fact that he was looking for perhaps just enhanced border security. What could that mean? That could be several different things. It could be, for example, more patrols along the border. It could be drones in terms of patrolling. It could be more immigration judges for being able to hear cases regarding people who are overstaying their visa or their, their visa in the United States. It's a variety of different possibilities. And again, that's what makes this debate so unclear here, is in terms of, A, the scope of the problem that we're talking about, and B, what exactly the solution is. If we actually look at the numbers in terms of immigration, especially when people say undocumented or illegal immigration coming into the United States, especially through the southern border. It is dramatically lower now than it was, let us say, 10 years ago. So there's also some people contending or wondering, do we really need to spend money on this? So there's, again, a lot of confusion, a lot of debate. And I think the wall has become really more a political metaphor about a whole bunch of different things. When Dialogue Minnesota returns, more of our conversation with David Schultz. He's both a Hamlin University political science professor and a University of Minnesota visiting professor of law. He's talking about the recent partial federal government shutdown. How have Americans reacted to the shutdown? What do the polling numbers look like for President Trump and uh, for the Democrats? Well, in terms of how this has played out, the 
polls suggest that Donald Trump took most of the blame in terms of the shutdown. Some people might recall that back last December, he actually made a statement to the effect of saying that if we need to shut the government down to build a wall, I'll take responsibility, I'll own it. And I think the American public said that. Not a surprise that Republicans pretty significantly still supported the president. Um, Not a surprise that Democrats opposed the president on this. The big issue was in terms of those independent or swing voters, and public opinion, even among them, was dramatically against him. But also there were some polls that were suggesting in the last few days before the shutdown that even some members of his base, some people in, in rural areas such as rural Minnesota as farmers, were not supporting the president and his base was eroding. So on balance, one can argue that the president of the United States at least in the court of public opinion in general, didn't do very well with the shutdown. Are there any possible justifications or incentives that could persuade Democrats to agree to fund the border wall in the coming weeks? It's a possibility, although I think it's very low. And where I say it's a possibility is that the Democrats would need to get something substantive out of this because they have to be able to go back to their political base and say, Yes, we had to agree to something for the wall, but here's what we got. Now, Trump offered the Democrats at one point two-year amnesty um, for DACA. That is for those children who were brought to the United States by their parents who were not here legally, which means they weren't citizens. The Democrats rejected that for a couple of reasons. First, that was something that is DACA amnesty that had been there under President Obama, and Trump took it away. So he's basically offering to give them back something that he took away. They weren't going to go along with that. Second, the the deal that he was trying to offer them was mostly the deal that had been rejected before the shutdown. And also third, I would say the other reason is that the amnesty was temporary, not permanent. I think for the Democrats to have to go along with the wall, they would have to get something more permanent, a broader, more global reform to immigration laws, protection for DACA individuals, maybe some type of guaranteed path to citizenship for these individuals, something more substantive. And that's going to be curious to see as we go into these negotiations now leading up to February 15th, what will be put on the table by Democrats and by Donald Trump to try to induce the other side to reach agreement. What do you think will happen on February 15th? Will the government partially shut down again? The key to the shutdown, or if it stays open, are the Republican senators. In many ways, when they started to break, that put pressure on Donald Trump. There's indications that Republican senators do not want to go into another shutdown. The vast majority of the senators who are up for election in 2020 are Republicans, and they are perceiving, perhaps correctly, that since they, along with Trump, were blamed for the shutdown, that their control of the chamber may be at stake. So for them, I think they're going to be looking for incentives to be able to negotiate uh, with the Democrats. And I think Republicans in the Senate and the Democrats in the House can reach agreement. The real question is, will Trump settle for anything short of funding for a wall? Right now, the language doesn't seem to suggest it. And Donald Trump himself has said that he thinks the prospects for an agreement with a wall are less than 50%, which suggests a possibility of going into a second shutdown in a couple of weeks. 
Could President Trump, as he has threatened, declare a national emergency to begin constructing the wall? And if so, what are the ramifications of using this tactic? Well, first, I'm not persuaded that he has the legal authority to be able to declare a national emergency to do this. Is that the president in general only has the authority to spend funds if Congress has authorized it. There's nothing in the National Emergency Act that seems to suggest that the president has the United States to unilaterally change spending priorities that were agreed to in law by Congress and him. Second, there's a 1974 um, Congressional Budget Act that also reinforces that point in terms of the president must spend money the way Congress is allocated. Again, no indication that the National Emergency Act allows him to do this kind of a bypass. Third, in the past, for example, when Harry Truman back in the 50s tried to declare an emergency to avert a steel mill strike during the Korean War, he declared a national emergency and the Supreme Court rejected that. I would suspect that the court might do that here also because it's just not clear what constitutes an emergency. And even if by some chance he were to do it, and even if by some chance the president were to actually build the wall, he creates an incredibly dangerous precedent. What would prevent, let's say, a future Democrat from now declaring that global warming is a national emergency and therefore priorities and spending has to be committed to address that? So I think the president is on shaky legal ground doing this, and Republicans in the Senate are worried about the precedent, both legally and politically, to allow the president of the United States to do this. We're talking with David Schultz. He's a professor in the Department of Political Science at Hamlin University. He is also a visiting professor at the University of Minnesota Law School. His blog is schultztake.blogspot.com. Will the fight over the border wall continue the deadlock in Congress, or will House Democrats and Senate Republicans be able to pass legislation in these next two weeks? That, of course, is the what the $5.7 billion question. <laughs> there, there is lots of interest, I think, in the Congress to reach negotiation. With the President of the United States, that's the bigger question. And if the President still insists on something approaching a physical wall along the southern border. I just do not see any situation under which the Democrats are going to agree to that, even if the president offers them a variety of different things. So it really, I think, comes down to the president of the United States more so than it does to than to Congress in terms of what he wants to achieve and is he willing to get something less than a physical wall but which nonetheless might actually enhance border security more so than a physical wall. With the two major political parties so at odds with each other, how can we avoid future shutdowns? Well, the simplest way to avoid future government shutdowns is to make sure that there's always legal authorization for the government to spend money. We know that in the state of Minnesota, in the last 20 years, we've had three partial government shutdowns And one of the things that I've talked about for years is to adopt a piece of legislation found in the state of Wisconsin. And the state of Wisconsin has a law that says that in the event that there is no budget or agreement on the budget by the required time, 
there would be an automatic continuing resolution that would kick in. What do we mean by an automatic continuing resolution? That the current budget or some percentage of it would automatically be funded so that the government wouldn't shut down. I think we need to adopt something like that at the federal level. And in fact, this week, we saw some people such as Lamar Alexander, Republican from Tennessee, talk about the idea of saying that we should have something like that automatically kick in if we can't actually reach real agreement. And that would be a very good idea. It would ensure that no matter what happens, we would still be funding government operations and never go into a shutdown or a partial shutdown like we have. Do you think Congress and the president will take the steps necessary to avoid shutdowns in the future, or should we brace ourselves for shutdowns basically any time there's a power imbalance? In the near future, I don't see Congress and the president agreeing on this concept of an automatic continuing resolution, much in the same way that I don't see the prospects going forward for Congress and the president really agreeing on a budget in the way they're supposed to. Since the 1974 Budget Act was passed, which outlines our major framework for how we're supposed to do the budget, only four times since then have we actually passed a budget on time. Most of the time, it's what's called continuing resolutions, partial spending, partial funding, and so forth. The budget process is basically broken, compounding the problems of the polarization that we see. And I do not see any will or desire for a broader structural fix to the budget process. And I also don't see in the foreseeable future any more permanent agreement on budget or spending priorities. So that at least going forward, perhaps even more during the Trump presidency, and who knows, going into the future, so long as there is divided government, we may see continued risk of government shutdowns. In 2011, the Minnesota government shut down after then-DFL Governor Mark Dayton and the Republican-led legislature came to an impasse. How was this dispute solved, and do you think newly elected Governor Tim Walls and the DFL House will struggle to find common ground with the state Senate Republicans? Well, how it was solved back in 2011, there's sort of, I think, the real answer and the humorous answer. The humorous answer was that it got to a point to where it was impossible to issue beer licenses. And many people said that, well, Minnesota panicked because they couldn't sell beer at that point. I'm not sure that's the real answer. I think what the real answer was is that the political pressure started to bear really powerfully on the governor and the legislature um, in terms of reaching agreement. You know, we had some parks that were closed. We had um, lots of concerns about governmental functions not operating. And it just took an enormous amount of political pressure and fear of voter retribution the next election to be able to solve it. In terms of Tim Waltz and the Democrats and the Republicans, what's a little bit different now as opposed to 2011. In 2011, the governor, a Democrat, faced a united uh, Republican legislature. Now we have a much more divided government, a Democratic governor, a House controlled by Democrats, and the Senate controlled by Republicans. The power dynamics are a little bit different, but nonetheless, we still have significant disagreements on a variety of very tough and difficult issues. And right now, there's still early in the session, lots of good talk about cooperation, but we're a long three to four months before May, and the session has to end. And I'm not sure at this point, even with the banner of One Minnesota, 
that there's enough agreement on spending priorities to guarantee that there wouldn't be at least a missing of a deadline in terms of not getting it done by regular session, and perhaps a risk still nonetheless of a partial government shutdown. David Schultz is a professor in the Department of Political Science at Hamlin University. He is also a visiting professor at the University of Minnesota Law School. His blog is schultzstake.blogspot.com. Professor Schultz, thanks so much for joining us on Dialogue Minnesota. Thank you for having me again. Dialogue Minnesota, conversations about the issues that matter to you. I'm Jim Dubois. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.